As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Turn this blood, sweat, and tears poor with a little bit of green in it go. You can find me, smoke right behind me, two lanes and a finish line. That groove is just good for the soul. I was born into it. I was raised on it. Wouldn't have it any other way. Wild Willie Fuel has partnered with the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to offer you, the racer, 20% off when you use the promo code LUKE. L-U-K-E, at checkout. Now, Wild Willie Fuel is the industry-leading manufacturer of professional fuel scent and top loop. They have over 60 unique fuel scents. Wild Willie has just the products you need to set yourself apart from the competition. Everybody wants that good smell. They got from the industry's number one selling scent, (laughs) Ex-Girlfriend, how cool is that, to the brand new fragrance, Fruit Loops. Love me some Fruit Loops. You are sure to find something that fits your personality. Over 60 unique scents. Surely you'll find something in there. Now, Wild Willie fuel fragrances can be used in race gas, methanol, ethanol, diesel, or pump gas. You can put it in all different kinds of fuels. Their scents are compatible with carburetors, fuel injectors, O2 sensors, and catalytic converters. So stop by and check them out at www.wildwillyfuel.com. And don't forget to use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, to save 20% today. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss 
Blue Hayball and Stephanie Boston Mass. How are you, Big Jed? Luke, I am well. I am really well. Uh, missed you. It's It's been a little while since we got together, so great to be back with you, and we're going to talk about some great stuff here on the show. Can't wait for that, but uh, most importantly, um, just really happy to have the gang all back together again. I know, I know. It's with Luke and Jed right again, right? It's been a couple of weeks. Yeah. It's good to see you. It's good to hear from you. Um, so, yeah, we've done a couple of weeks individually solo. I got to say, we haven't got a chance to talk since, and you know, we texted back and forth. Your conversation with Don O'Neill was inspiring, impactful. I laughed. I cried. Um, I, I think... I've said this to you before. I feel like our best shows go on when I'm not here. I think that's the best work that we've ever done, and I'll include we in it, even though I had no nothing to do with it. Uh, no, and and I appreciate that very much, Luke. I really had nothing to do with it myself. Uh, uh, Diane O'Neill's story told through the the voice and thoughts of Don O'Neill was truly incredible to just sit and listen to. Um, what a what an impactful, important person. Uh, on earth on her time her time on earth and then you know her legacy just has continued to strengthen after her passing and a lot of that is due to how don is sharing her story but mostly due to what she meant to everyone she ever met touched dealt with whatever uh she was just an incredible individual and and uh as as difficult and painful as that story had moments of um i was honored and humbled to to get to talk to don about her and 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 i hope the listeners enjoyed it as much as as i enjoyed it no it was uh it was incredible it was powerful um and it's it's a testament to you said to to don for being willing to go there and then to be able to articulate the emotion and the gratitude it was it was awesome so obviously yes credit where credit is due there um but also on your end like that's a a difficult line to walk as an interviewer and and to 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 not overstep and yet lead in the direction that, that Don wanted to go like I just thought you did a phenomenal job so I wanted to commend you on that as well well I appreciate that very much Luke Last week, I was on with Rock Haas and Ashley Thompson, talking with Rock about his Rock and Super shootout, and uh, just kind of spitballing, brainstorming on um, the potential for events like that. It was a it was a big dollar, eight ninety, nine ninety race. Uh, it was a lot of fun. So we talked about that and how we'd like to see more races like that in the future. Ashley and I rolled out some big news on the This Is driver series. So if you missed last week, be sure to go back and check those out if you haven't already um so we're back for this week but i'll be it uh, together briefly we've got some we got some stuff coming up next week for next week's show uh, i'll be joined by kevin mckenna long time um friend of the show been on several podcasts with us kevin and i will break down the first half basically of the nhra sportsman season so we'll take a little bit deeper dive there if you want to if you want to nerd out with me on points next week is the show and then the following week big jed that is uh, the week leading up to the July 4th holiday, which is a big week for each of us. You'll be hosting this this small footbreak race in Bristol. I, I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, yeah. I've got Elite Fest going on. we got a ton going on that week, so we're actually going to preemptively announce that's a vacation week. We will, we'll be off that week. We'll come back the following week. We'll follow up on World Footbreak Challenge and everything that happens over 4th of July week. And I guess we'll have the SFG 500 in there as well. 
Yeah, a lot of big racing that weekend, Luke. It's going to be exciting. Uh, definitely the 15th BT World Foot Brake Challenge is exciting for us. We've got um, 295, 296 uh, pre-entered racers, uh, which is going to lead to a crowd well over 400, maybe over 450. So pretty excited about that and what's going to happen in Bristol uh, the, the July the 4th weekend. And certainly excited to come back and talk about somebody that, that had a life-changing day in Michigan by winning a half million dollars at the SFG event. So going to be really cool to, to get a little time off and get focused on, uh, on my race, but uh, it's going to be even more gooder to come back and talk about those big winners when we all get back together after July 4th. And it's always mo better to be more gooder. Always. All right. So um, yeah, next week, Kevin McKenna following week off and we'll kind of get back into our regular swing today's show I think we got a fun one for you we got a little bit of on-track racing to talk about NHRA got back into full full swing one national event two points meets we'll talk about that we'll talk about the Bernie Man Memorial and the greatness of one Nick Hastings if you haven't heard that before um yeah that that continues um what else did we have on this show? Big Money in Virginia. And then we, we closed the uh, the show with with a fun discussion in which I'm pretty sure that I made a really small group of racers really happy and in the process alienated the rest of the country and they want to throw rocks at me. The discussion was uh, what racetrack has produced the greatest group of racers basically in history. Uh, I, got, I got my opinions. You probably think I'm wrong. Listen, it'll be fun. What do you think, Jed? Oh man, I can't wait. Uh, your, your, uh, your list was awesome and, uh, you nailed it and look forward to seeing what people think about it. That and much more coming up, but first P J North. If you know, then you know. All right, so Big Jed, we had a fair amount of action on the schedule for last week. Let's start there. Can I kick things off with uh, NHRA? Luke, I wouldn't have it any other way. Bye. I I love it. So agreeable today. Yeah. (laughs) Three NHRA events on the schedule after uh, like a a kind of rare two-week hiatus. We'll start with the national event in Epping uh, up in New Hampshire. So nearly saw uh, Boyshesco double up. Young Amanda got the win in Supercomp. Iggy advanced to the Supergas final. I believe he had car issues in the final alongside John LaBoose Jr. So it was nearly a run of the table for the relentless team. LaBoose stood in the way. Amanda wins Supercomp. Iggy runner-up in gas to Mr. LaBoose. A couple other familiar winners at Epping. Joseph Santangelo won Superstock. 17 national event wins for Santangelo. He seems like a young guy. That's a big number. Luke, it's huge. Uh, Joe, obviously, just a threat every time he goes to the racetrack, and the guy just turns on wind light after wind light after wind light. And he, you know, he's done that those 17 between stock and super stock, but uh, just feels like his super stock setup is super solid. And I would imagine Joe's going to put himself in position to make a run at this thing by the time the year's over. 
Yeah, I don't know that he's been to an NHRA race yet this season. He's kicked off the year with that $40,000 win at uh, at the Butner slash Lyon slash Connolly event down in Georgia. This one a little bit closer to home form up in Epping. And I mentioned 17 national event wins. It was very nearly 18. Double O Joe not only wins Superstock, uh, advanced to the semifinal round in Stock Eliminator, definitely flirted with the ultra-rare national event double um, in Stock Eliminator. I believe that he lost that semifinal. I think it was 3 thou red to John Shaw. That set up another rare. We just talked about a heads-up stock eliminator final at the national event at Atlanta. There's a couple of K-stock automatic cars. This one was a little different. Heads-up final double A stock automatic. It doesn't get much cooler than that. I mean, in this day and age, there are faster stock eliminator cars with the the late model factory cars but if you're into old school muscle if you're into chevrolet versus mopar not only did we have a double a automatic heads up final it was two of the faster if not perhaps the two fastest double a cars in the country uh in john gray and john shawl gray got the win 103 under and the index in double a at least to my recollection like salty right like it takes a pretty big jump from a to double a i always thought it was really difficult to go fast in double a these are two guys that don't have any problem with it uh gray got the win 103 under in the final shawl uh, just a tenth behind at 92 under a couple of cool cars a couple of fast cars and a double a heads up final I-, I thought that was noteworthy i'd imagine there was a couple of wheelies in there too luke i didn't get to see a replay of it but uh, those double a cars as you said, the, the index is pretty aggressive. Uh, people try to avoid that class if they can. But obviously, two of these uh, these two hot rods are uh, very capable of blowing the index out of the water. And anytime you get two of those fast AA cars uh, getting after one another to see who gets to the finish line first, especially for the Wally, uh, that's got to be a good time to watch. Yeah, it's one of the cool aspects of Stock Eliminator. It's something that I hated as a Stock Eliminator competitor, the, the, the thought of the heads-up run and all the stuff that went along with it. But as a fan, as a spectator, it's the coolest thing in stock, right? No doubt about it. I think the other, the other note that I have from Epic and what stood out to me was as bad as it is to say, and this is a testament to this family and their domination really of Division One, but specifically of this facility, what stood out to me even more so than who won at Epping, maybe who didn't. The Sawyer family did not hoist a Wally at Epping, and that's rare. They've only been running national events at that facility since 2013. So last year with the COVID year, I think they've only run, what, be eight of them? The Sawyer family has five national event Wallies from Epping. At the first, what, seven events? This year, they got shut out. That's pretty rare. Between Ray, obviously former NHRA world champion. Mike, who is going to be an NHRA world champion, has knocked on the door repeatedly. Uh, is one of, at least in my opinion, one of the best racers in Super Gas. And then his brother, Brian, who, if they had a Super Street National Championship, like I think he would be the favorite. He's probably been the most successful super super street racer in the country over the course of the last five years or so i think three of those national event wins at epping actually belong to brian shouts to to kelly wade and Winlight news it was actually these aren't these aren't my stats right uh i read a release that she wrote coming into epping that kind of highlighted the sawyer's dominance and just really put numbers to what i knew like those guys are nobody to mess with up there i believe that is home like that's where they where they all cut their teeth racing and obviously it's a tough place to beat them 
Yeah, it's it has become uh, very commonplace for sawyers to to get a wally there at least one, maybe multiple at times, and um, it, it's it just shows how incredible your run has been when the news is that you didn't collect the final wind light but uh, i'm sure the sawyer family will correct that next time around the sawyers not winning at epping is like nick hastings not winning a bottom ball race more more on that later right yeah Yeah, that doesn't happen (laughs) let's keep it in the nhra racing for now in addition to the national event in epping we had two divisionals and really nhra after not having an event for two weeks spread its wings all across the country the national event in epping new hampshire divisional in tulsa oklahoma that's pretty much right in the middle another divisional in seattle washington so we, we span the country uh, first Seattle, it was the first Division Six event of the season. I think now every division has gotten underway except for Division One and Division Five, and I believe that they both have their openers this weekend. So every division will begin earning points. Division Two, Division Four, it's almost done, right? Like just the way that the season falls, they get started early. Um, Seattle brought the first D6 event of 2021, so it's difficult to take too much from it other than surprise surprise division six event surprise surprise defending reigning nhra world champ jody lang has a big day and jody nearly went the double route himself got the win in super stock also runner-up finish in stock eliminator and just looking through the box score i think i see what screwed him up jody lang was the faster car in the final that never happened oh, wow. He was chastened on Elgin by like a second. And again, just looking at the numbers, not seeing exactly the way the race plays out, I think Jody got himself a little bit behind at the finish line. But he's not used to chasing. We had a, that's, that's the whole problem. Like Jody likes to leave first. That's what he does. No, Luke, uh, um, onlookers have uh, reported that for the first thousand foot, Jody was looking out the back window and then that, realized, see? oh my goodness. He's in Wait, front of He's up so, there. That's why I can't see him. Yeah, I mean, it's just a natural 180-degree <laughs> turn for Jody at about the 60 or 80-foot mark. And unfortunately, he forgot that he needed to be looking out the front window. Yeah. No, we pick on that final round performance, but obviously a, a great day. Uh, no surprise. I think we've come to expect it from Jody Lang, but to, to start the season off, particularly uh, uh, post-championship, like things get a little bit tougher when you put the one on the window. Runner-up in stock, winner in super stock, impressive showing for one Jody Lang. So kudos to him. That title defense is off to a swimming start. Um, more NHRA action again. Middle of the country, Division Four Tulsa. It's almost the it's the second to last event on the Division Four schedule. How about Craig Stanfield? One super stock again. Cool for a plethora of reasons. Okay, but first and foremost. Uh, Greg Stanfield wins Superstock at Tulsa, literally hours after his son Aaron wins Pro Stock at Epping. That's pretty awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. Um, and to just to have that spread out that far across the country, and I don't know how involved Greg is in the, in the Pro Stock operation. Obviously, he's got uh, his own Pro Stock experience. Uh, obviously, he's imparted a ton of wisdom on his young son, Aaron. I don't know how, how involved he is. I don't know if that's uh, obviously keeping up with things, keeping up the results, but who knows? Like He may be tuning that thing via phone in between his runs. I, I don't know how that works, but that's you cannot have a, 
a better, more fulfilling day than winning yourself and then watching your son win thousands of miles away at, on the biggest stage in our sport. No, that has to be incredible. And, uh, you know, I, I would think at this point with the name Stanfield, you have to, you, you've come to expect those wind lights. So I'm not sure if they even understand how special that is, but uh, at some point in their life, they'll reflect back on it and realize how really, really cool this is. All right, so we could talk about Aaron's run in pro stock if we wanted to, but that's not really what we do here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. So let's focus on Greg's run in Superstock. He's making another run at the title. I think we mentioned this a few weeks back. Uh, I don't know, like the, our younger listeners may not even necessarily be aware. Like uh, there's, a, there's a certain age where you think of Greg Stanfield as a pro stock truck racer, as a pro stock racer, right? way before that Greg Stanfield has four one two three four NHRA world championships in Superstock he dominated Superstock in the early 90s was the champ in 90 he got those four championships in five years including three back-to-back from 92 to 94 um been away from that category for quite a while and uh it doesn't look like it's taken much time to shake the rust off right he's in a great great position at this point this was his third divisional win of 2021 so he's making a serious run at this point you'd have to say he's the favorite to win that fifth championship and oh hold on i gotta i gotta get this out in front of me i got a trivia time for you big jed oh i love these all right so greg stanfield as i just mentioned has an opportunity this year to win his fifth nhra world championship now that would put him, he's already in very rare company, very elite company, but five, especially in the sportsman ranks, doesn't happen often at all, okay? To date, there have been six NHRA competitors, six racers who have won five or more NHRA World Championships in the sportsman categories. Greg Stanfield looking to become number seven. Can you name, how many of the six can you name? Probably half. Okay. Um, they're, they're, they're gettable. Like, they're, they're all obviously yeah. big names at that point, right? Yeah, I mean, Peter. Check. Uh, all right, good. Peter's got seven. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's, that's the most. That's, that's a that's, lot. That's a good place to start. So, just yeah. for reference, Peter Biondo, seven NHRA National Championships, five in the Superstock category, along with one in stock, one in Supergas. Yeah, so I would guess Jackie. Jackie just one sportsman title, one in Super Gas, multiple. And if we could count, okay. if we could count Pro Stock, then I think there's four or five more there. He would obviously be on the list. But again, we're just limiting this to sportsman titles. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to be embarrassed when uh, you name this list of racers that I should have gotten easily. But um, I would guess both of the 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 older Richardsons. Check and check. Very good. Five each. So Scotty, both uh, both Scotty and Edmund Richardson, three-time champions in Super Comp. Scotty added a Super Gas title and a Stock title. Edmund, two in Stock Eliminator. So yes, five each for Big E, the King, and Scotty Richardson. I would, I would say maybe Gary Stennett. Close. Right mm. now, Stennett and Stanfield are matched. Gary has four titles. Okay, so that's that's not a bad guess, but no. Yeah, and and I would think Steve Williams, but maybe he hasn't. I believe Steve has one world championship to this point. Yeah, it just seemed like he he wins all the time, but does it does? 
I, I'm I'm embarrassed, Luke, but I've got yeah. half of them. So give me that other half. You got half of them, and you and you and you had some good guesses there. Okay, so the other half, though, again, these are relatively household names. It's gettable, so there will probably be a couple where you kick yourself, but I, getting all six would be pretty impressive. Okay, so if we went down the line, obviously you've got Peter Biondo, seven-time world champ. You mentioned Scotty and Edmund five times each. Yeah, you're going to kick yourself on this one because it's your boy, Alabama boy. Oh, Rambo. David Rampey. Rambo has five, yes. Three in, three in comp, one in super gas, one in super comp. Okay, so this is, oh a, this is a who's who. This is a Hall of Fame listing. David Rampey, Peter Biondo, Scotty Richardson, Edmund Richardson, Jimmy DeFrank. Oh, I knew Jimmy. All five in super stock for Jimmy D. And... I'm missing one. Oh, and Justin Lamb. Yeah, I knew Justin. Yeah, yeah. I knew that one. Justin's three in super stock, two in stock, and by far the youngest name on this list. I, th- I think it's, I don't, I mean, you hate to just pencil anyone in for world championships, but I would be surprised given Justin's skill set and his laser focus on NHRA racing and really being in a part of the country where you, you can't really do much else. I would be very surprised if we didn't look up in a decade and he's surpassed Peter's mark of seven. With, with David Rampey retiring from NHRA competition, can we change Justin's name to Lambo? I like it. Yeah. Can we put out a petition for that? Lambo? Yeah, I think so. Okay. But what we've learned here, Luke, is that I'm no better at figuring out which sportsmen uh, NHRA world champions have won five times or more than I am at deciding who, uh, or if you're a sportsman racer, uh, Olympic athlete <laughs> or an adult film star. I mean, I'm going to be good for about half the list. It doesn't matter what list you throw at me. It's true. It's true. I mean, yeah, I, that one might've been more entertaining, but the result was similar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just for note Stanfield is joined as a four-time world champ. We mentioned, um, Gary Stinnett, the other, four-time world champ Kevin Helms got them all four in stock eliminator yep yeah that guy was one of the best ever do it and quit to to be a crew chief he's back he was uh he was running super stock at Atlanta anyway I don't know if he's back full-time but it was nice to see him behind the wheel was he swapping gears or is he got a sissy automatic the super stocker was a sissy automatic okay yeah Yeah. I think he's still got the old venerable Camaro have to bust that out at some point yeah so yeah six Six racers with five plus uh, NHRA Sportsman World Championships. Definitely a Hall of Fame list, plus three more, including the aforementioned Greg Stanfield, sitting at four and at least, well, really in all all three cases uh, between Stanfield, Helms, and Gary Stinnett, uh, at least in theory four and counting, right? But specifically counting for Greg Stanfield as he's looking like he's in the driver's seat to win the 2021 championship. And if he pulled that off, I mean, think about that. It was four world championships in five years in the early 90s. And then we're talking 26 years later, comes in and does it again. Like, that would be a hell of a story. Well, 30 years, 31 years from his first in 1990. I mean, that's, Luke, that's a long time to go from your first championship to your most recent. It is. It is. It actually brings up like a, another interesting point, and I'll I'll keep you on the NHRA discussion, and then then we'll dig into some big money bracket stuff. 
specifically if Greg Stanfield was to emerge from this season and claim his fifth NHRA uh, World Championship in the Super Stock category, where does he then rank in the Super Stock hierarchy? Because, like, I, I guess the question is this. When you think of an individual class in NHRA, in certain classes, there is one name that jumps out. For me, it would be, I say competition eliminator. Who do you think of? David Rampey. David Rampey. I say super comp. Like, who's the most illustrious super comp racer of all time? Um, Gary Stinnett. Scotty. Oh, sorry. Well, you could make that argument. Stinnett, four world championships, all in that category. That's double what anybody else has done, right? Yes. Well, I just said Scotty and Edmund had won three each. And, and I think for racers of our time, you could make that argument. But if you just took longevity and championships, race wins, like it's hard to argue with Stinnett, right? Oh, I agree. Yeah, he's, he's done it for a long, long time. Other categories, it's not so cut, cut and dry. And Superstock is really interesting because, like, we just went through those six, like, first ballot Hall of Famers, right? Five plus times NHRA World Championships. And what, three of them have won the bulk of their titles in Superstock. Peter Biondo, five time. Jimmy DeFrank, five time. Justin Lamb, uh, three and counting, right? And I think many of us, when we think Superstock, the first image that comes to mind is the Checkmate Camaro. I don't think, like, there was a time, again, 20 years ago, you said Superstock, you thought of Greg Stanfield. Like, he absolutely dominated Superstock for years, a, a relatively brief period of time, but obviously very strong, right? Four championships in five years. Today, well, two years ago, you say, who, who, who do you picture when you think Superstock? It's probably not Greg Stanfield. Where, how, would, how do you rank that hierarchy? Is that even possible? Well, that's an excellent question, and, and I don't think it is uh, because there's so much talent in that category and has been for so long. I, I really believe that obviously Greg has his place. Um, you know, he'll, he will go down in history as one of the best just from what he's accomplished thus far and to come out uh, so many years later and, and continue to be so competitive and even dominant at times that cements his place in the lineup but um, you know the recency bias in us you know it makes me say Justin Lamb will possibly be the best to ever do it if he you know stays at it for a while and, and continues to uh, to chase world championships but uh, really hard to argue against what Peter's done so I, I think you've got 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D up there very easily could argue for any of them. Without question, and I think you bring up a good point with, with recency bias because, as I kind of alluded to earlier, it's hard for me to envision a world a decade from now where we don't say, well, obviously, that's Justin Lamb, right? Uh, assuming sure. that he continues to run in Superstock over the next decade and has even a percentage of the success that he's had to this point. By the same token, if you ask this question 10 years ago, it's a, an eye roll and it's Peter Biondo, right? Yeah. Um, I think for me, maybe for you, that still resonates because that was sort of that, that time period where we really followed things really closely, romanticized the stars maybe a little bit more than we do today. Like Peter probably stands out for me, 
but again, if you if you rewind the clock ten years from that, it's it's Stanfield, and I think it's an interesting like footnote is the wrong word because it's more than that. But if Stanfield does win this title, you know, would you, would you say thirty years almost removed from his first one? That's pretty incredible, and it's not yeah. like, I mean, it's one thing to to have that sustained success over that long period of time, but it's not like he was trying for the 20 years in between. Like he just kind of quit and did other things that he had success at. And then was like, Oh yeah, that super stock thing. That was fun. Maybe I'll do that. Oh yeah. World champ again. Like it's, it's pretty incredible. It really is. Uh, because I was racing in 1990 and I raced today and I know how much while the, the goal and the mission remains the same as it was then hit the tree run the dial in get there first without breaking out it has changed so much from then to now and to think that a guy could could do it then and can still do it now with all that change just i mean really just shows an incredible range of talent uh, within him so uh, it's you know it's easy to argue if he continues doing this and puts up another world championship, be easy to argue that he's as good as there's ever been. Well put, well put. All right. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk some big dollar bracket racing and, and let's start off the bottom. Big Jed, the Bernie man Memorial, uh, Terre Haute, not far from my place here had, uh, had two fives and a 10. It was a big money, no box race. Um, shocker. <laughs> The main event was won by? Nasty Nick Hastings strikes again. Uh, just incredible performance by him. The Burning Man Memorial uh, put on by Jake Hodge. Um, Terre Haute, as you said. Uh, I don't know how to say it. Wabash or, or Wabash Valley. Sure. But seemed like a cool drag strip. Really neat place. You could basically take your golf, golf cart right out of the pits into the Chick-fil-A drive through roll through, get your food, come back. Um, uh, it was, uh, it was done in a race car by, uh, by one of your boys. Uh, Mr. Bryant took his, uh, Monza and rolled through the Chick-fil-A drive through and got that on camera and won something from a double O bleep show. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Um, and Jake Hodge rode an elephant. So that was pretty cool. Those type of things don't typically happen at the races. But outside of that cool stuff, let's talk about Nasty Nick. Luke, he wins the 10K, and he runners up a 5K. And again, a talented, very talented field, a no-box field field. And he's swapping feet and just, what else can you say? He just continues to do this at an extremely high level. Uh, it's no surprise to anybody. People are sick of hearing it. People are sick of talking about it. But if you knew Nick or if you know Nick and you know how humble this guy is and how just businesslike he is, it's just you can't you can't not feel good for Nick Hastings to continue this run. And it was awesome to see him strike again on such a high stage and uh, you know, with what's coming up this summer, uh, he's had a tremendous first, I guess, now nearly half of the season. Um, I, I just can only imagine what his season is going to look like on the back half with all this money at stake. 
I mean, we've sung his praises incessantly, and at the same time, I just don't think we can talk about him enough. I will say, I don't think I've ever, ever shared this, so you mentioned the, and he does this a lot, right, just rolls into no-box country, so to speak, when I don't know how specifically valid it is, but I think most bottom bulbers would agree, like, it's easier to string together runs letting go of a button than it is foot breaking. If nothing else, like, just for the simple fact that you don't have to reference the tack and you don't have to hold your foot still, right? There's, there's, I don't know that it's a huge difference, but I think you would agree, like, it's, it's somewhat to some level, quote unquote, easier to let go of a button than it is to swap feet, correct? 100%. That's the perception, if nothing else. And so I find it interesting when Nick kind of rolls into no box country because he doesn't change his game at all. Like, he is swapping feet. And have that level of success. The, the, the story that I want to tell, we went to um, Byron, I think it may have been last season, for the, the Firecracker Nationals, which is actually coming up, uh, I'll be there next weekend, one of my favorite races of the year. And it's unique in a big dollar event because like, say, an SFG race, bo- uh, door cars and dragsters are separate and um, box and no box are separate. It's unique in that I don't know that I've ever been to another event where among the door cars, the no box cars outnumber the box cars. Like no box is a very, very popular thing in that part of the country. And then as a result, because it's such a popular thing, um, it's extremely competitive. I I don't I don't necessarily uh, make, you know, make my living bottom ball bracing, but the times that I've been to Byron, like the bottom ball field is nothing to mess with. Like for a local group of guys, very, very talented, very, very good off the bottom. And so I see Nick in their foot breaking and I'm thinking like, there's a part of me that thinks, okay, like this might not be as easy as he thinks. Right. And they're fast cars at Byron, which is kind of another thing that comes along with no box. Right. Like it, it allows uh, a, a lighter, uh, faster, more powerful car to be competitive. Right. Sure. By and large. So he's getting chased all the time, like, and I just turn around and he's in the final of the 30 grander. He, he had his two cars, I believe, were the last two standing in no box in the 100 grander. Like every day he just runs through the field and he didn't win, but they knew he was there, you know, and that's just <laughs> yeah. what he does. Like he just makes incredible runs and I don't care what the competition is or your perception of them. Like he's unequivocally, unarguably the best right now and again like uh, we talked about before like i i think bottom bowl racing it's hard to argue specifically foot brake racing uh, there's any argument he's the best ever i think he's trending toward best ever bottom bowl racer and kind of like we just talked about with justin lamb a decade from now like it may be a silly question as to when you start listing you know your top 10 top five top three of all time like it the list may very well start with nick hastings Yep, I could see that 100. percent uh, You know, he's he's going to go down as as the best to ever swap feed. I just I can't imagine you can make your your packages any tighter than what he's capable of on average uh, swapping feet. It is truly remarkable what he's able to accomplish. And you know, y- you can gauge this a lot of different ways, but I would just about be willing to bet if you put somebody on a lie detector test 99.7 percent of the people he races feels like they have to be better than they usually are 
to beat him. I would. He gets a lot of red lights, Luke. He gets a lot of runs where the, the person beside him didn't make great runs or their target run. But anytime you start thinking, I've got to do something different than what's got me here, especially when you're around five, six, seven, where you've just mowed down four or five racers already, you're feeling confident. And then you face Nick Hastings. And the first thought in your head is, you know what? I got to be better than I've been all day, all weekend, all month to beat him. That's the kind of racer he is that, that simplifies it, puts it in perspective for you. And that's what forces a lot of those mistakes in the other lane. But when you look at his side of the ticket, you're not upset because you're like, well, yep, crap. I did need to be, I did need to be nine total or 14 total, just like I thought. And that's exactly what I was going to say. Like typically that line of thinking is a mistake, but in this case, uh, you're probably right. You do need to be better than you've been to be thick. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what forces those mistakes. But again, you're not upset with yourself when you make that mistake because he just laid down his normal run and, you know, was forcing you to be a little bit better than your average. Winners from uh, Western Indiana that uh, not named Nick Hastings. Nick wins the 10. Runners up the, uh, the second five grander to Steve Collier. Winner of the first five grander, Jordan Wilhelm. Red hot Jordan Wilhelm, by the way. I believe he was actually the uh, in the top spot on this week's Drag Champ Top 10. Uh, not only does he win the opening five grander at Terre Haute, I believe it was the week prior. Um, I think he was in three final rounds at Bunker Hill. Like, ran himself in the final of a five grander off that was like top ball brace. And then I believe won no box the following day. Like, uh, quite a heater for young Jordan Wilhelm. Yeah, Jordan's on fire, having a great uh early part of the season he he didn't get started when most do obviously due to geographics but um has really come out on fire and got it rolling he's he's coming to bristol to the world foot break challenge so looking forward to seeing jordan there and, and see him compete and what can you say about steve collier i mean steve just continues to turn on wind lights uh the guys uh, has been doing this for quite a while and and just really talented racer that gets it done getting by nasty nick in his 5k final which is a a a feat all in itself whether it's for the final round or or wherever it is in the race so steve collier a really talented racer that uh, that did it once again and i'm sure we'll see plenty more out of him going forward just a few weeks back uh we had tyler crossno the uh the, the general manager at Virginia Motorsports Park on talking a little bit about his triple threat series and I know that the main event of that is still coming up uh, I believe in July but the first um, triple threat at VMP was last week and I thought we would mention that as well 220 granders the first race it's got to be a top 10 name Big Jed Dink Holmes oh. gets the win over oh yeah Devin Dudley what was the nickname you had for Devin, Devin Dudley Deadly Devin Dudley yes Devin Deadly. Yes. (laughs) Y'all just call him Devin Deadly. That that should stick too. Lambo and Devin Deadly. But Devin taking his bottom bulb entry in the the Pro 48 or bottom bulb 48, whatever they they called it there, uh, went in the bottom bulb side, switching over into the box side and taking it all the way to the final to run Dane Combs. If I remember correctly, uh, Deadly got it a little too much, uh, kicked it red, Luke, as we like to say, by a few thou. But um, Devin, once again, just showing how talented he is and uh, going to a huge final round. Dink Holmes, a uh, big $20,000 win for Dink was a, was a really cool thing to see. 
second 20 grander, another familiar name, Jeff Sarah knocks down the 20 grander, I believe a week removed from running up a 10 grander, so Sarah is back up and rolling. He got that $20,000 victory over Luke Harris. Anything else, Big Jed, that caught your eye from last weekend? We talked NHRA, we talked the big no box race, we talked the 20 granders in Virginia. What did we miss? Oh, Luke, my mind is uh, drawing a blank on uh, on much more big money bracket racing, but um, there were some great performances from some racers that we're fairly familiar with uh, over at Carolina Dragway. Uh, the Brannon family, the Brannon household, if you will, not just the family, but the household, uh, Miss Ivy and KB squaring up Luke in a 10K final on Sunday at Carolina Dragway. Now, you race uh, in the same category with your wife. How cool would that be to square up in a 10K final? But uh, I guess on the flip side, how uncool would things be around the house if she got the win? Miss Jessica got the win like Miss Ivy got over KB. Okay, so it wasn't a 10 grander, but I say to anyone who will listen, I've won some cool stuff in racing. I've had some really incredible, memorable, unforgettable days at the racetrack. My single favorite racing memory, it was a regular Saturday night at I-57 Drag Strip. We were, before we were married, Jessica and I were dating, um, and we ran in the finals, a $1,000 win race. It was the same result as Ivy and KB had. Jessica's win light came on. She cracked me. I actually think it was a really good thing for our relationship. I think, uh, I think had it been the other way, it might have been a little bit rougher on me. Um, but there was, uh, there was no punches pulled. She kicked my butt. Uh, but it was absolutely one of the coolest. Well, it is unequivocally, it's the coolest thing I've ever been involved in at the racetrack. And I can't imagine multiplying it, I guess monetarily multiplying it by 10. But just the prestige, the attention, like that is a really special moment and it is super cool. And I have no idea. I haven't got a chance to talk to KB about this. I will say this from my experience um, 10 years ago. So my my wife, girlfriend at the time, is racing, was racing her grandfather's Vega. I was in my Vega. And she wins in front of me at four cars. And I'm paired with like multi-time track champion. Like I've got the guy that this is the guy you got to beat, right? And uh, so her wind light comes on in front of me and her father and her sister are on the starting line in front of me. Her wind light comes on and they both just kind of in unison turn around and look at me and I can read their minds like, all right, your turn. And I'm telling you, I've staged in the final of the U.S. Nationals. I've staged for $100,000. I have never felt pressure like that in my life in a race car. That was the best wind light I've ever seen. Oh, that's really cool. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, obviously does the money is not, unless it's something crazy life changing, we're going to spend that before we win it and, and all that. So I'm sure that is irrelevant when you're racing your significant other in a final round on any stage that has to be really cool. And, um, obviously KB got to enjoy that. And, uh, I know the, the love he has for Miss Ivy. So I'm sure he was tickled to death for her. That was probably a wonderful moment. And then Luke, he backs that up. It was just a runner up kind of thing, but he did it in grand fashion. He goes to, we actually did it the day prior in Saturday's 20 K to Kevin Pruitt in his freshly painted Chevy twice wagon. Uh, I think it looks the, good. 
too. Yeah, I took the, yeah. the traditional red off of that unit, uh, which I hated to see, but he painted it really nice color of blue and black, and it was beautiful. I think he just got it out, takes it to a 20K win over the aforementioned Kevin Brennan. So Kevin had a great weekend there, and, and really good to see him perform well and, and Miss Ivy get that big win, and as well as Kevin Pruitt, Pruitt family. So a uh, really good group couple of notes that I caught from that race so KB impressive as always was a uh, runner up in the 20 grander to Kevin Pruitt KB in the Monza and then it was an all Brandon all dragster final on Sunday for the 10 and there was no punches pulled there like they threw down the 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 numbers for that final it was like sub 15 packages both lanes advantage Ooh. Ivy yeah Ooh, nasty one other of uh, interesting note fun note it probably it's interesting and fun for us it probably wasn't quite as interesting and fun for Shane Maddox Shane Maddox, semi-finalist both days, uh, to Kevin Brannon both days. I know those two are tight, um, so that was probably fun in and of itself. You hate to get mentioned for back-to-back semis, but that's pretty impressive. Rolled in the semifinals of a 10 and a 20 back-to-back, so thought Shane deserved a mention there as well. No doubt, and uh, all shuck, Shane Maddox uh, always performs on a real high level. He, he's, a, he's a great racer in his own right. Uh, the, the family builds tremendous hot rods there at Maddox Race Cars, so uh, good to see Shane do well, and I'm sure if you if you talk to him about it, he was just happy to be where he got. So good for him as well. Uh, one other semi-random note that I had, and I know that this probably doesn't make the national stage. Maybe it shouldn't, but I just thought it was really impressive. So at uh, Beach Bend at Bowling Green, basically in addition to what used to be the 10 Tucks and is now the, the 10 Gs at BG, right? That's their three kind of marquee events each season. Uh, for the last two years, they've been doing a once a month five grander. And for the second time this season, Jason Barnes won that. Jason Barnes in his S10 pickup. And for a, a, a racer that doesn't travel a whole bunch, like I basically only see him at Bowling Green, he's won two fives this year. Um, his buddy drove his truck, runnered up one day at the 10 granders. Jason's also been in multiple final rounds, both in Super Pro and Pro throughout the season. Like he has just dominated Beach Bend in a 650 pickup truck, unassuming car. Like, and he has been absolutely without question the guy to beat there. I saw that he rang up another five grander. I thought that was worth a mention here as well. Definitely worth a mention. Uh, Jason Barnes, really cool guy. Just got his head on straight, enjoys the sport, and it's, it's awesome to see him do well. Uh, Bowling Green is not an easy place to win, as you know, Luke. And uh, it's it's not only impressive that he's accomplished what he's accomplished this year, but to do it where he's done it, uh, that's uh, even uh, a little more icing on the cake. So great job by Jason. To your point, Beach Bend Raceway and the surrounding area, that is a difficult place to win. Lots of big-name racers have come from that facility, and that's a great transition into – uh, the last thing that I wanted to talk about today, I don't know how I dreamt this up. I've spent too many hours on the road lately. We've had this conversation in some respect, like uh, one of our one of our biggest um, interest-generating discussions early on in the podcast was the All-State conversation that ultimately became the All-State shootout, right? And how much pride everyone takes in their state. I was thinking about this the other day, and I was curious, like, what individual racetrack has produced the greatest group of racers over time and i think this is an interesting conversation because i think everyone tends to think that wherever it is that i race wherever it is that you race week in and week out like we've got the best racers everywhere say it for me jed if you can win here insert any track name 
If you can win here, you can win anywhere, right? That's what everybody says. That's right. And that's probably truer today than it's ever been. But when we look back uh, historically, there tend to be clusters of incredible racers that at some point, particularly starting out, called one specific facility home. When I say that, what track or tracks, I've got four in mind that I'll, I'll list and you probably see my notes, Jed. But when I say that, like what facility or facilities jump out to you? Well, Luke, um, before I scroll down the show notes to see what your list was, I had one, uh, your number three, not necessarily in any particular order, but the third one on your list sure. uh, immediately came to mind for me, um, not only because some of the names you're going to talk about are some of the most talented and accomplished racers in our sport today and have been for a while, but partially because of the crowds they've battled. I mean, these guys became great by racing ridiculous fields into the wee hours of the morning or sometimes having to wait and finish it the next day or what it was a lot of different circumstances there. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if that's contributed to their uh, progression of talent, but certainly you got to hold it together for a long, long time in the heyday of that particular track. And I think that to me kind of separates them a little bit. Uh, and they travel well and, and race extremely well. So for me, it's the, the third track on your list. Which is? It's Norwalk. Yeah. It is Norwalk. No, that, like I said, I had four that come to mind. And again, I'm as biased as anyone in this. And, and I sing the praises of the, the track that I grew up at all the time, right? And there was certainly a time where I think you can make the argument that Texas Raceway was the place right and and i'll still i'll make that argument now um it's interesting how and i guess it makes sense when you think about it how you get a cluster of incredible racers from one facility both at a certain time and then also like generationally because i think it's pretty obvious and i'll take i'll use texas raceway as an example prior to their move to tennessee and then in scotty's case ultimately onto kentucky Scotty Edmund Richardson called Texas Raceway home in, I don't even know if you'd even classify it as their heyday now, but the beginning of their dominance, right? We're talking um, late 80s through mid to late 90s. And if you're frequenting a facility that Scotty and Edmund Richardson show up at like any time that they're home, and for the first few years of that, we're basically there every time that they swung open the gate. Um, if you're another racer at that facility, you've got two choices. You're either going to figure out how to get better and try to compete at that level, or you're probably going to get frustrated and quit. So simply them being there in and in the same time period with Jeff and Jeremy Heffler, Tommy Phillips, Frank Kahutek, Nathan Martin, like I could go on and on and on, that that group absolutely elevated the competition not only among themselves but of everyone in that area and then generationally here i come 10 years behind them like i've it, it was instructive and instrumental for someone like me to say oh like here's these guys not only do i see them winning all the time here um like 
they're doing this everywhere that they go. Like they're winning national events. And for me, it was eye-opening. Like they're actually making a living doing this. Like this is how they pay their bills. Like that's cool. Like I want to make a living. You know what I mean? And you just, if you don't have access to someone like that, I don't know that you ever realize that that's even a possibility, right? So Texas Raceway stands out to me. I named some of the names earlier. Scotty and M. Richardson, the Hefflers, Tommy Phillips, Frank Kahutek, Nathan Martin, myself, Jeff Lopez, Austin Williams, Chad Sandlin, as we kind of go through the generations. And even prior to Scotty and Edmund, there were great racers there. So that was always among the top of my list. Um, It gets a little bit skewed today because Texas Raceway shut its doors, I'm going to say close to a decade ago now. Um, So obviously we don't really have any new blood coming. And even uh, not to take any shine off of the accomplishments of Scotty and Edmund Richardson, right? Like they are titans in the sport, but they're, you know, today the, the, it shifted, you know, to Hunter Patton and Johnny Ezell and Nick Hastings, right? Like they're not the, they don't, the, the, the Richardson name doesn't carry the fear that it once does, right? Or the, um, immediacy that it once does, once did. So Kennedale still stands out to me and maybe that's biased. Maybe that's close to my heart. The other three, you mentioned Norwalk, um, Music City Raceway, and the Nashville area in general. And I guess I'll, I'll dig into a little bit on each of those. At Music City, I'm not going to let them claim Scotty and, and Edmund. Like, I, I feel like if you're going to say this, this is the place where you was the original home track. It's like the place that you cut your teeth, the place that you learned, right? So Music City, I'm sorry, you can't claim Scotty and Edmund, right? They, they, they learned back at my place. Well, Luke, but, shouldn't that be should, shouldn't that be Music City slash Beach Bend? I mean, slash um, uh, those racers live yeah. in the middle of those two facilities, and yeah. it's a Saturday Sunday ritual, and has been for decades for for the group that you have listed, and and still a lot of talented racers today just to do that Saturday Sunday deal. And back in the day, you could even include Clarksville in that, you know, Friday Saturday yeah, Sunday, good point. right? So, and that was probably part of it too. These just the opportunity to race two, three nights a week, right? We had the, we had the same thing in Texas. Um, sure. But yeah, Music City, like I'll, I'll let them claim Laboose, big Laboose, little Laboose, right? Uh, that's enough in and of itself. You claim Jason Lynch, um, Leon Robertson, Todd Sensony, Jeremy Jensen. I feel like I'm leaving some off the list from that area, but those names alone, like that stand out, right? And they all kind of hail from the hills. Legends. Yes, absolute titans of the sport. Uh, you mentioned Norwalk. And I mean, I, I'll go through a, what, a brief list, and I'm sure I'm leaving names off, but some of the guys that we've talked about extensively this season, I think, would call Norwalk home, you know, at least starting out. Rick Bear, Nick Hastings, Randy Biddle, uh, go to top ball, Chris Bear, Randy Schuer, Matt Dattis. Um, and then when you scale back a generation, it gets a little bit... Um, sticky in talking because most of the standout racers from that era were members of the Dirty Dozen and depending on how you feel about that group may may taint that a little bit but some of the biggest names of that era whether it's Ron Irks, obviously the Connollys Bill Webb, on down the line like um, some of the more successful racers have always hailed from Norwalk for a lot of the reasons that, that you illustrated I'm probably, there's people screaming that we're missing a track or that we're missing their home track for me, four stand out, those three are near the top of the list. But when I actually sit down and list it out, and again, like generationally looking at domination from, for shoot, four or five decades, 
and then into what we're seeing today, I I think the one track that stands out to me is Bradenton Motorsports Park, or formerly DeSoto Dragway, right? In Bradenton, Florida. Just think about this. If we go back however many years, Steve Cohen, Kenny Underwood, who's now obviously relocated to Ohio, but that's that's where he started. Whether I guess Bradenton Sunshine, right? That area. Um, obviously, Troy and Gary Williams, Manny Sosa. Fast forward to today, Gage Birch. Uh, in the early years, through today, <laughs> I was going to say, rewind and fast forward. Tim Butler, <laughs> um, the the best to ever sit on two wheels. Roy Hagedorn also called that place home. We forget about a guy by the name of Ed Richardson that won two NHRA World Championships and a million dollar race. He was a Bradenton guy. And those are probably like the marquee big names, I think. Hopefully I didn't miss anybody. But just you mentioned some other names like John Siegel, which I guess he'd probably claim the Northeast maybe as home. Um, But I think since he actually started racing, I think was mainly in Florida. But Dwayne Roberts, Jeff Keene, like so many really, really talented, Stanley Albritton, talented racers out of that area. And it's so geographically diverse. Like it's... They didn't. I think they had St. Pete and Bradenton, so they could race a couple of nights a week. But it's not like it was easy. It's ever been easy to travel from Bradenton, Florida, or to travel to Bradenton, Florida. Like the Winter Series probably played a part in that, being um, subjected to the the best racers of the country for at least a week or two every single season. And then obviously, Cohen, Underwood, Butler really played a role in elevating that whole area. And it, but it's to maintain that over the course of the last what four decades is i don't think there's another track that you could say you could at least make a very strong argument that the best racer in the country from the 80s the 90s the 2000s the 10s the 20s you could make an argument for tim butler you could make an argument for underwood you could certainly make an argument for the williams boys today you could make an argument for gage birch i don't know that there's another track that checks those boxes for consecutive decades like that yeah, Luke, that would be very hard to argue against if, if you think about just million-dollar races alone, what's been accomplished in that group and and yet still to be accomplished because a couple of these names are going to going to win one or two of those before they're done again. So um, pretty incredible group of racers there from Bradenton. So I can definitely understand why it's your number one. A couple of takeaways from the the list that you put together and i think you you hit you know really good um tracks here and you talk about texas raceway scotty and edmund and you think about how much talent there was at that facility that they raced at each week and how difficult it was to win and they what they do they move hundreds and hundreds of miles luke to the next hotbed on your list you know and, are they the reason that that that, that made the list or did they say i i think it was always tough to win in the nashville area but i think it's unquestionable that they elevated the level of competition there when they when they came in right you have all the places you can go and say i'm going to move and and get closer to some more racing you go to one of the most talented geographical areas uh that 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 there is in the sport in the day they moved and still today so i definitely think they're part of what makes it puts it on that level 
good point but but there was a lot of talent there prior to him and there's going to be a lot of talent after him so uh it, it just shows how confident and and talented those guys were that they would move to such a hotbed and i think you could you could even take that a step further and say that on some level scotty and edmund and, and really all of the best racers in the country at the time elevated the performance in South Florida too because it went to the Winter Series every season like I, Troy Williams Jr. loves to tell a story about I believe it's the first year that, that Edmund rolls into the five day and this is probably mid 80s he's got a he's got a dragster the front end's wider than the rear end right and uh, nobody really knows who he is and he rolls through and he wins the five or ten grand or whatever it was you know the first day of the five day over Tim Butler in the final and the way that Troy tells the story is the the woman working the ET booth, they they come back around for the final and she's just kind of not really paying much attention and looks down at the time slip as Edmund's getting it, and she just starts going ballistic like you you beat Butler you beat Butler you beat Butler like nobody beats Butler right, and of <laughs> course you know twenty something year old Big E is looking at her like of course I beat Butler I beat everybody what the hell are you talking about you know what I mean but you just imagine that dynamic but I do think like. To some extent, this is silly to say, but I think that those two guys play a role in elevating the competition at three of the four tracks on my list. I, I think that's realistic. I, I couldn't argue against it. Uh, definitely. I'm sure they frequented uh, the, the facilities in Florida enough that uh, they changed the game there. You know, those guys, uh, the the whole holding numbers and and playing a different game than what I learned to play when I started racing. I, I credit that to, to Scotty and Edmund uh, for, for whatever reason, it just feels like those guys um, for lack of a better word invented that, that strategy. And, you know, I, so I, I feel like they not only changed racing in the areas that they frequented and lived, they changed it forever uh, across America. I uh, just, you know, that those guys have raised the level of competition even indirectly just by the way they changed the game back in the, the late 80s yeah so that's my top four i'll stick out there if i if you've asked me to rank them i would say bradenton norwalk Kennedale, music city and there might be a little bit of bias in there <laughs> tell us where we went wrong tell us who we missed Give me a good argument. Start naming names. Uh, I would love to uh, to see a Facebook thread start out of this, and I'd love to talk about it deeper with a little bit more perspective than than what we've got. I'm proud of my list. Probably missing some somewhere. Tell us where we went wrong. Yeah, definitely want to hear from you. Is that all we got? That's. I think that's everything on the agenda. That's it. That's it's it. A short we, show, but it's late. We want to close this thing down now, Luke. I'm good. Okay. Well, let's shut this thing down. I mean, uh, we definitely had a lot of content here. We, we gave a lot of opinion and we love to get our listeners opinion. So guys reach out to us and uh, tell us, uh, just like Luke said, tell us what we got right, what we got wrong. Um, tell us, you know, what track should have been number one in your mind and don't hold back, you know, uh, just, just let us have it. You can send that information right to the front page of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page, or you can send it in a message. But if you send it in a message, I'm going to be honest with you, the world's not going to know your opinion because we're not going to get in there and copy and paste and share it. So let work. the world know what you think and put it right out there 
on our uh, on our homepage. Uh, Luke, um, I'm sure that uh, you've got a, a great list of shouts. I mean, there was a there was a dink in our winners, so I'm sure that your, your list of shouts is going to be epic. So uh, I'm ready for that whenever you are. All right, shouts to the trivia time segment. Shouts to Racer Olympian Adult Film Star. It's been a while since we uttered those words on the podcast. That's a throwback. That's a good one. Shouts to yeah. Lambo and Devin Deadly. Shouts to Brandon Family Domination. Shouts to the ET Shack worker at Bradenton. You beat Butler. You beat Butler. Shouts to John LaBouche Jr. BBHMM. Shouts to Dink Holmes. And shouts to, I just realized this, shouts to summit raceway park norwalk ohio i just had flashbacks to the all-state challenge and the vitriol that came from the state of ohio like ohioans are really convinced that they are the best so i think i'm actually relatively confident that i pissed off like a certain segment probably a hundred mile radiance radius around norwalk ohio by claiming them as number two i'm gonna hear it let me have it I got Brayden oh, yeah. at number one. Shouts to Summit Raceway Park and all Summit Raceway Park competitors. Well done, Luke. That's a proud bunch up there, and I, I can't wait for them to get all up in your behind and, and tell you how you fouled that up. Uh, I've got one shout. I actually had a, a sales rep for a, a manufacturer come by and call on me um, last week, early last week at work, and he left his card. And uh, I was unavailable. He left his card and he, he left it with our parts guy. And our parts guy came back to my office a little later and he said, hey, here's, uh, here's the brochures for this product. And here's the guy's card. And he said, if you're interested, give him a call. So I looked at his card, Luke, and this is his real name because we looked him up on Facebook. This gentleman's real name is Peter Bigwood. And Peter <clears throat> put his first name, capital P, lowercase e-t-e-r his last name was all caps big wood all caps <laughs> and uh, and he's a real he's a real boy so uh shout, shout to, out shouts to peter not only for having a unique name but for leaning into it like that all caps on the, on the back side is strong <laughs> leaning into it i like that so uh peter big wood and i you know i, I, I yeah, well you know what i'm not even gonna talk about that anymore but shouts to you peter Hope you have a great day, and uh, if you're listening, man, thank you for tuning in. And um, Luke, that that pretty much does it here. We're done. Um, you know, you and I both very active on the Twitter. Uh, if if our listeners want to tweet us as opposed to sending a message to our Facebook page, they can catch up with us there on uh, Twitter. You are at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We would love to hear from you early and often on either of those social media outlets. Again contact us tell us what we did right tell us what we did wrong and we can't wait to read that and we can't wait to be back and talk to you about more sportsman drag racing i want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available subscribe and 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 you can do that on google play you can do that on itunes you can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today just subscribe that way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast you'll be the first to know and do us a favor tell your friends about the podcast get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the sportsman drag racing podcast over the pa on race day hi right, guys I want to talk to you about our great friends at manscaped now they've just come out with the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer 
It's available now in the USA and Canada. And what makes this waterproof trimmer different from all the other trimmers, you ask? It's a 7,000 RPM trimmer. I guess 7,000 RPMs. We love RPMs. And this is turning 7,000 of them. That's a well-tuned small block Chevrolet. Luke, Luke, I would love to match the loud pedal on this lawnmower 4.0, and I might do it after a while, as a matter of fact. And it features skin-safe technology, guys. This keeps your package in check, and it's helped reduce manscaping accidents around the world. Less trips to the emergency room if you get the 7,000 RPM lawnmower 4.0. I love investing in the best new technology and advancement, and I'm blown away by the performance. But the craftsmanship and the details on the 4.0 are simply next level. Now, Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming, and their brand-new shaving tools are just dropped right in time for Father's Day. So do that father a favor, and even if somebody's about to be a father, just go ahead and get it out of the way. Go to Manscaped.com, put in promo code JED, that's J-E-D, and you get 20% off with free shipping. That's 20% off with free shipping. Manscaped.com, use promo code JED. It's dad bod season, and it's time to get smooth. Do that dad a favor and go to Manscaped.com and get some product. Reasons to use BTE tune-up services. Number one, quick turnaround time. You won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts. Number two, unparalleled customer service and responsive communication. Reason number three, all brands of parts are accepted. It's not like they just work on BTE parts. Number four, BTE offers freight shipping discounts. They are located in the shipping capital of the United States near Memphis, Tennessee. And number five, reason to use BTE tune-up services. Quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance. We just wrapped up our summer enrollment period, our brief open enrollment in This is Bracket Racing Elite. And we brought in a lot of new members to our premier community. So if that's you, if you recently signed up, hey, thank you for joining This is Bracket Racing Elite. We really look forward to working with you on an individual basis. You've already gotten some emails and some interaction from us to that end. Um, If you did not have the opportunity to join This is Bracket Racing Elite this time around for whatever reason, hey, that's cool. Uh, Unfortunately, we will not open the doors again until December, maybe November, late at the end of the the 2021 season. Um, But if you are still interested, if you're mildly intrigued, um, I can't encourage you enough. Get on our our Get Notified list, okay? You can do that by going to thisisbracketracing.com slash get notified. And what we'll do ultimately is send you an email when the doors to Elite reopen so that you don't miss your opportunity to join our community. But in the meantime, we'll also send you some free resources. On our end, this gives a glimpse as to what life is like within This Is Bracket Racing Elite. On your end, um, these are free. And I'm confident that on some level, they can help you in your racing. Whether or not you end up becoming a member of our community or not, like there's no obligation, there's no commitment. This is just a, a little spice into like, hey, this is what we have to offer, and uh, I think it can help you. So ultimately, you've got nothing to lose. Again, this is bracketracing.com slash get notified.
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.